exciting things going on in the life of our church. I'm excited to kind of talk about them. Uh, we're going to spend the next few weeks kind of finishing what we started uh, two weeks ago as we look at really what our mission is as a church and what God is, is doing in the life of this church. And it's, it's an exciting time uh, for us to be church. It was a, it's also a big exciting weekend at our house. Uh, my mom and her husband are in town, which is really cool, and we're excited they're here. Meredith went to Def Leppard on Friday night and saw poison in Def Leppard, which is a pretty big deal. And we went to our first Oklahoma State football game yesterday. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm on, on Facebook, I mean, I didn't realize how much vitriol was out there in this community for uh, the, the sort of rivalry that's there. So we went to OSU football game and stayed for the first eight minutes, and uh, then it was over, and we left. And, uh, but it was a good time. I got a new shirt out of the deal, and so, uh, you know, I don't really wear it. I'm not going to, like, wear it at my father-in-law, who's a big tech fan. We went to Marathon with the Texas Tech. He said, he goes, well, I guess you can wear it once and then just burn it, you know, after that. I was like... Somewhere Spike Dykes is mad at me. Um, so it's big weekend, exciting Labor Day weekend. We've got the deal at the Portman's house tonight. We'd love for you to come be a part of that. It's just a fun time to be church. It's a fun time to just kind of trust in what the Lord is doing. And we made the announcement about a month ago or, or three weeks ago that God was moving us out of Will Rogers into another venue. Um, it doesn't feel Bit, uh, too small for us, and it's really not the worship space it is, but it's the, the fact that, that we don't have a, a firm presence in the community. We just rent the space Sunday mornings, and that we don't have room to do things with kids and during the week and life groups and all this kind of stuff that meets and happens. And so God has opened up the door for us to move uh, just six blocks north to 49th Street. We're very excited about that. A lot of work is going on. I've been posting pictures on our Facebook page, so you can stop by there and look at what God's doing. Um, or next Sunday, we're going to be having a prayer service there, so if you can get your uh, eyes on it firsthand. Um, but I was kind of talking about this each week. We've been trying to raise a significant amount of money um, because we need to renovate the space, and we don't own anything, which is great. We don't want to own a lot of stuff, but there's a few things we need, as I've mentioned, chairs and sound equipment and stuff like that. And so we have set a lofty goal of trying to raise $80,000 uh, in just a few short weeks. And exciting to announce that we have already raised or have committed uh, $41,000, which for us is, I mean... I was real honest. I was kind of like, man, I, I was a wee bit surprised already. So I, I'm super excited about that. Um, but if, if you haven't been a part of that yet, or you haven't had a chance to give to that yet, back there at the offering table, um, we have these blue envelopes, and you can either give a one-time gift, or you can make a six-month pledge, but we don't really want to drag this out a whole long time. So if you want to be a part of that, or you can, please, it's going to take every member of our community giving something um, to uh, make this a reality. So, you know, I, I was having lunch with someone not too long ago, and we were talking about this, and, and this is probably what I do the, the, the worst as a pastor. Well, there's a lot of things I do really bad, but as the worst is my ability to, like, ask and, for money, and, and, and because it's just not who we are, and we know that the kingdom of God is not held up by dollars, and we don't want to make church always about money, but this is a unique time in our life, and so just take, it just takes some resources to make it happen. So every one of us as a church members and community, we want you to give. If you're here for the first time, we really aren't talking to you. We want you just to be a part of what we're doing. But for those of us that have been coming and are a part of our, our little uh, church plant here, we really need everyone to uh, be a part of this effort. So we are uh, halfway there. We're very excited about that. So what I've been talking about over the past four weeks are really who we are as a church, the makeup of of a heartbeat. And we've been talking about our mission, we've been talking about our values, we've been talking about our approach to living them out. And just by way of really brief, short recap, um, we have a mission as a church, and I'm kind of preaching through that right now. And it's a short statement that is knowable and that sort of connects us all together. All right, our, our, our mission really is to love much and love well as we take the gospel to the one, 
to the city and to the world. And I've been preaching through each of these sections. In the past two weeks, we've talked about the loving much part. We've talked about what it means to love well. Today, we're going to move on and talk about uh, the central piece of our mission, which is what does it mean to take the gospel into the world. In the next three weeks, we're going to talk about the importance of the one, the importance of the city and the world as we look at what our our call is. But that's really what unites us. And we're a community that is um, made up of all kinds of different people. We have different theological backgrounds, different church backgrounds. Some of us, we're not church goers. You know, we just come from a different place. But what unites us is our mission. It's not how we vote or, you know, how we dress or the kind of music we like. But what unites us as a church is our mission. Um, and, and we love the fact that we have the same heartbeat. Now, that's our mission. Our values are, are kind of out here on the wall for us, that worship-driven, community-minded, missionally focused. Those are the things that we sort of hold together that are high values for us as a church. And then you see the uh, uh, love God, love people, follow Jesus stuff. That's how we live it out. We want to live out our, our mission. We want to live out our values in a real simple way by saying, God, we love you. We want to be about loving people. We want to be about following Jesus. So all that to say... As we talk about raising money and moving into new space, knowing who we are is really important. Um, being able to identify clearly and articulate it clearly is really important. So for the past two weeks, we've talked about the first part of our mission. What does it mean to love much, right? Sort of extravagance and abundance, and what does it mean to love well, which is really about intentionality. And last week, we, we kind of looked at the very famous parable of the Good Samaritan. We talked about that interaction that Jesus has with the expert of the law and how he, we really, loving well begins with understanding that we were created to love and know God. That is what we were created for, to love and know God. And every ounce, after every bit of loving, every ounce of loving flows from that place. So loving much and loving well is not about loving more, but it's about understanding who we are, loving God with our heart, and then letting the love of God pour out for us. And we talked about that sort of uh, parable of the Good Samaritan being the idea that we've got to open our eyes and look around us. We've got to soften our heart to the things that that God sees, the way that, that God sees the world, um, that we have to act on love. We can't just see it, and, but we need to live it, and then uh, caring enough to go back. And, and so we just sort of talked about how we circle around with people and, and love them the way that Jesus loved us. Well, today we're moving into the more central piece of our mission, and really what kind of connects everything together, and that is the part that says we take the gospel. So we love much, we love well, as we take the gospel um, to the one, to the world, and to the city. And and so I started thinking about this, and, and I'm not going to oversimplify this little message today because it really speaks for itself. And, and the gospel is a really unique concept in Scripture, and we're going to break it down in some simple terms today because I think that part of sort of the, the majesty and the amazing kind of characteristics about God is that, that God is so beautifully simple and beautifully complex all at the same time. And, and the gospel really is a pic- perfect picture of that. It's perfectly simple but it's beautifully complex all at the same time. So this morning, we're going to unpack that a little bit. Uh, we're going to look at just what the gospel is and, and what it really means for us to take it into the world. So we're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 4. If you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and flip there uh, because I want you to see uh, where we're coming from today. We're going to take a little bit different angle uh, at the gospel this morning and uh, look at it from uh, some of Jesus' statements about himself, actually. And so book of Luke, chapter 4. And before we open God's word... Uh, let's take a moment and just pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this church. I thank you that this is a gathering of, of quite imperfect people led by very imperfect people. And Lord, we are honored, God, that you call us into relationship with you. This morning, Lord, we ask that you would move in our lives and our hearts, that you would open us up to a fresh word about the gospel, a fresh word about the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, maybe this is stuff that we've heard all our lives. May, 
would you make it new again on our heart? Sometimes the simplicity of a message about who you are is exactly what we need to hear in a world that overcomplicates, uh, well, religion and Christianity and all kinds of things, Father. So simple truth this morning about a God who is deeply in love with us. Take a moment and just pray in your heart. Even if you think it's a little strange, just ask God to move in you just for the next few minutes that just God would move in your heart. Pray for someone beside you, in front of you, or behind you. Just whisper that God would move in them. Be in the habit of praying for other people. Lord, we pray that you would take your word this morning and you would uh, penetrate our hearts with it. You would take this simple message of truth and turn our worlds upside down. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus. And we ask this in his holy and perfect name. Amen. We're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 4. Let me give you a quick word about the, uh, the idea of the gospel, right? It's a <clears throat> very churchy word. We use it in all of our Christian circles a lot, and, and it is a word that comes straight from Scripture. The word gospel is actually a translation of the Greek word euangelion, which really means good news, all right? So it's the picture of the gospel is the picture of good news. It's probably why we hear those words used interchangeably a lot, a lot of times. I'm bringing the good news, I'm bringing the gospel, because it translates literally as good news. So when we read it in scripture, and it says, you know, that, that you know, they preached the gospel, all right, really what that translates as was they preached the good news. And this morning we're going to look really simply at the idea of why is this news so good, and what are we really taking into the world as a church? Why is that a value and part of our heartbeat and of our mission, is to take this gospel, this good news, this euangelion, right, this proclamation <clears throat> into the world. We're going to look at it a little differently this morning. We're going to look, look at an interaction that Jesus has and uh, see kind of a few of the things that he says about himself. Book of Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Let's read this together. We'll go down uh, just a little bit there. Jesus returned to Galilee. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up and he read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying this to them. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is a really cool setting that I think we often ha have skipped over um, when we look at the gospel or we look at uh, the stories about Jesus. We, we tend to get on with these sort of major moments in his life and look at miracles and, and all the great, cool, amazing things that Jesus did. But one of my favorite pictures of Christ in all of scripture comes right here in Luke chapter 4 because it's an amazing setting. Jesus goes around the countryside and, and when he does, he's, he's talking the good news. He is proclaiming the coming kingdom of God. He is talking about God's love and God's favor and he is healing and, and he is doing all these things. And when he come into a town on the Sabbath, he would go into the synagogue, which was the gathering place for all religious life. All right, So in the cities, they would have a synagogue and it was a gathering place where people would come and they would worship and they would do religious activities and it's where the community really kind of developed its religious heartbeat. 
And Jesus would walk in and he would begin, be, be teaching or he would read or he would be a part of worship life. So he goes back into Galilee in the region where he kind of uh, was raised, right? He was born in Bethlehem but raised in Galilee. And he goes back into that region and on the Sabbath he goes to worship which is where all the people would go, and there was a huge crowd of people there, almost always all men, the women would stand to the outside, but it was a gathering of, of men and people there to worship. So Jesus would be a part of that, and worship for that Jewish life on the Sabbath really consisted of day-long reading. I mean, they would pull the scrolls out. That's, now, back in those days, the, uh, the temples or the synagogues were where they kept all the uh, important documents. Everybody didn't walk around with a Bible. You know, this did not, you didn't have one of these. And so what happened was, is that the synagogue or the, uh, the, the temple, this is where they kept those things. So they would have written parchments or scrolls uh, of the law, of the Torah, um, of the writings of the Old Testament prophets and things like that. And they would keep them there. And when people would gather together, they would pull them out and read. And it was a big deal because you didn't have books in your home. Most people were really uneducated and those that weren't or those that were educated still getting your hands on on a book or a scroll was nearly impossible and it weren't bound books like we had but getting your your have but getting your hands on a parchment was expensive and so most folks didn't have them so when they would hear the word together and they hear the law or the prophets or the writings it would be in a setting like this now we take it for granted because i don't know how many books you have in your house or how many bibles you have in your house but i've got tons we carry one with us, I have one in my car, we have them out here, you can have these, I mean, these are we give away, I mean, so we are, we are kind of inundated with scripture all the time. But back in those days, man, it was a special occasion when you gather together once a week and you would read from the Torah, from the law, or from the writings. Well, they're gathered together in worship, and as was Jesus' custom on the Sabbath, wherever he was, he would go into that town and he would be a part of the worship life of Israel. So he gathers there with these folks, and as he's sitting there, he stands up to read. And a lot of times, people would take turns, and they would just read Scripture. They wouldn't preach on or expound on it. They would read it and let it soak and let it sit, and they would remind themselves of the promises of God. And there's a, we see a lot of this in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, how the, the community came together and just read God's Word. Well, Jesus stands up, right? He walks to the front where everybody is and where the readers are, and the attendant hands him a scroll, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet, right? Well, Jesus takes this scroll and he opens it up. These are big old scrolls. Opens it up and he begins to read from Isaiah chapter 61. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Rolls it back together hands it to the attendant, and sits down. And everybody's eyes are fastened on him. Jesus kind of looks around, preaching some kind of sermon. He just read four verses. Everyone's looking at him, and Jesus says, oh, by the way, all this was just fulfilled today. I mean, these are unbelievable words. I mean, essentially what Jesus is saying is this entire prophecy of Isaiah chapter 61 about the coming Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one of God who is going to redeem all of Israel. Jesus says, those words that you just heard, that's me. I mean, these are huge things. Right? Nobody says that. I mean, no, who does that? So, of course, everyone is blown away. And what happens later on is they get in a big argument and run Jesus out of town. I mean, that's just sort of how things happen. 
But I love that picture about Jesus. He's like, he reads that, he hands it back, and he's like, I'm done. Everyone's, he's like, oh yeah, that's, that's about me. Here's what's important that I want you to understand that I think is really amazing about the gospel, right? And, 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 and I find this really fascinating because a lot of times we think the gospel is, um, it's a message or it's a, it's a methodology or it's a, a system of religious beliefs or it's a, a formula or agenda. When we talk about the gospel, what we're really talking about is a person. You see, the gospel is a person. The good news is Jesus Christ. What Jesus says is, he goes, this is me. The words that you have just heard are me. I have been anointed to preach the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set captives free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He goes, this is who I am. A lot of times we think that the gospel is about a perfect message that we show the world or that we live or that we have to understand. And I think the church somewhere has kind of traded in that truth and forgotten that the gospel is a picture of Jesus Christ. What we're taking into the world is a person, not an idea, not an argument, not a theological debate on the existence of God. But instead we're taking to the world a person. And that's what Jesus is saying on that morning. He looks at everyone and he says, you want to know the fulfillment of this prophecy? Well, he's standing in your presence. And I thought about that a lot because when I, when I formulate and we think about, our leaders think about our mission as a church. And we talk about what it means and who we want to be, right? And who we're called to be and what we're called to do in the world. Our, our driving heartbeat is that we would show Jesus to the world. I mean, we really can't do much else. I mean, if you've come for very long, you realize that we really don't know what we're doing. I mean, we just want to love people and get together and, and talk about God, but we don't have a great formula, and we haven't read all the right books on how to make a church explode to about a million people, and we don't do that well. But what we do well is live authentically, like we talked about the past couple of weeks, loving much and loving well. And we want to take Jesus into the world. Now, I know that sounds kind of funny. I know you're thinking about, well, how do you take Jesus into the world? I mean, and carry Jesus. In. No, I mean, we take Jesus into the world by living as followers of Christ, saying, look, I don't know much, right? I can't give you a perfect argument on all 28 uh, chapters of the book of Acts from the Greek. and all. I can't do all that, but I can tell you this. Jesus changed my life, and I want to tell you about him. So the gospel is a person, right? What we also see in here is that the gospel is hope. So the good news, Jesus, is hope. Listen to what he says out of, the, out of the book of Isaiah. He says, because the Spirit of the Lord is on me, he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to release the oppressed. You know, Jesus is talking about the hopeless. And you know what's amazing about Scripture is that the hopeless, well, they aren't somebody else. You and me. We are utterly and totally hopeless. We've been talking about this for the past two weeks. The gospel begins with an understanding of who exactly we are. And we are sinful, broken, dead people. The Bible is very clear about that. We are dead in our sin. We're hopeless. Which means that the gospel means Jesus is hope. He is the answer for all the brokenness, all the hurt, all the blindness. And he is God's chosen instrument to bind those up and bring hope to the hopeless. And the hopeless we always think about are, are people that are down and out or, or maybe they don't have anything and, and, and they have no hope. But from a spiritual standpoint, every single one of us is totally hopeless. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. There is nothing you can do to go from this life to eternal glory without Jesus Christ, period. I don't care how good your life is. 
You know, the reality is that sitting here this morning, right, has about as much to do with your salvation as going for a bike ride. Taking up space here will do nothing to bring, us, bring you to a place where you will meet Jesus in eternity. We are all totally sinful and broken. And that's where the gospel begins, with our deep need for a Savior. And Jesus basically looks at this crowd and he says, I am the one that God has sent to give you the hopeless hope. What we're taking into the world is we're taking Jesus to the broken. And we're doing it as a reflection of someone that Jesus has redeemed and restored. So we know that Jesus is the gospel. I mean, the gospel is a person. We know that the gospel is hope. And we also know from that last part that the gospel is freedom. I mean, listen to this. Jesus says, he has, he's given me the, the anointing to recover, give recovery sight of the blind, release the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know what Isaiah is referring to? He's actually referring back to Leviticus. When Leviticus talks about the year of Jubilee, you know what the year of Jubilee is? Every 50 years, all right, this was in the law, every 50 years, all debts were canceled and forgiven, all right, slaves were set free, and any land that was sold out of your family was returned back to its original roots. And it was an amazing celebration. So whatever kind of trouble you got yourself into, whatever kind of debt you got yourself into, if you had to sell the family property to get yourself out of this, or if you knew someone that was a slave, or you were living as a slave, every 50 years, God proclaimed that everything goes back to how it should be. And people celebrated, and they went crazy. And that was the year of Jubilee, and it happened every 50 years. And the slaves were released, right? Your debt was canceled. And the land was returned back to its rightful family owners. And this was really an important part of religious life for the Jewish people. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, look, the Messiah, myself, right, the very embodiment of the good news, God has sent me to not only release the prisoners, but to proclaim the year of Jubilee. But Jesus isn't talking about a calendar year. He's talking about himself setting us free from the bondage of sin, and from all of its consequences eternally. What Jesus is saying is that the gospel is freedom. The gospel is hope, and the gospel is freedom. These are characteristics of Jesus. Jesus is hope, and Jesus is freedom. So you and I don't like to think that we live in bondage. We don't see ourselves as slaves, but the reality is that we are slaves to sin. Every one of us is held in bondage by sin, and the only option for being set free is Jesus. Jesus releases prisoners. And Isaiah's not talking here, and Jesus isn't talking here either about the fact that Jesus came to literally walk into a prison and undo someone's chains and walk them out for being a murderer, and now you're free. Jesus is talking about the spiritual bondage that we're held in, and that God has sent his son, the gospel, the good news, Jesus, to liberate our hearts. Now, we live as very free people in a very free country. The irony is, is that we are all slaves and prisoners. And the gospel, Jesus, has come literally to set us free. What we're taking into the world is a person who is hope and who is freedom. And if, if we really believe this is a church, that, G, that we are all not just sick, but we are dead in our sin, and that the only hope for redemption in our lives is Jesus Christ, and that without Jesus Christ, we are destined for eternal separation from God. 
That's just the truth of Scripture. We believe that. And we believe that Jesus is not only the hope, but he is the answer. He is the liberating freedom. If we believe that, the question that resonates in my heart is why is there no urgency in the church to live the gospel? I mean, we have urgency about a lot of things in our life. I've got urgency about bills that get paid, school starts up, you know, work life, whatever. But when it comes to a sense of urgency about living and proclaiming and taking the gospel into the world, the church, big C, right, the church, big C, has no sense of urgency. We are so focused on our own lives, our own programs, our own growth, our own agenda, that we lose the urgency. Most of us, let's be honest, I mean, it takes us two years to even invite someone at work to church. Meanwhile, they're spiritually dying. If the church really believes that this gospel is about hope and about salvation, if this gospel is a person and it is the only answer, why are we not urgent about our desire to proclaim it? Why are we not urgent about our desire to take Jesus literally into the world? I really believe it stems from the fact that we don't really understand our own condition. And this is kind of what we've been talking about the past two weeks. Everything about love and loving much and loving well begins with understanding that we are broken, sinful people. And the only reason, only reason that we have anything is because God blesses us. And not with stuff and things, but with redemption and life. If we really understood that apart from Jesus Christ, I am nothing, I would realize that I want the world to know the same truth. When I look at this picture of the gospel, I'm not going to complicate it, and I could go on forever, but when I look at it, I look at it real simply as a church for us. And that is this. Do we really believe that we are desperately dying without Jesus Christ, and our only answer for redemption is, is through Jesus? And if so, that hope and that freedom that has given me new life, given me reason to breathe and dance and love and laugh, if I really believe that to be true, then I want to live as a church in a way that says, God, we are all about taking this into the world because this is not only world-changing, right? It's salvation. It's the answer. I mean, it is a fulfillment of my life here on earth and the promise of eternal life in heaven. As a church, how do we live this out? As individual Christ followers, how do you live this out? What is the hang-up with looking at the people in your life, your, your family, your friends, your co-workers, and actually telling them about the God that has liberated your heart and your soul? Why are we so petrified about what people are going to think if we actually talk about Jesus? If I truly believe this to be true, then what ex- it, there should be nothing that stops me from telling the world. As a church, this is how we want to be guided. It is our mission to take Jesus into the world, not to invite people to come here, I don't really care if they come here. We want them to meet Jesus. So quit running kind of programs that are focused on church growth. And we need to be fascinated about the idea of taking the gospel into the world. Right? Our goal as a church, if you're here, you've heard this a billion times. Our goal as a church is not to be big here. 500, 1,000, 10,000, whatever. Have my picture on all the billboards around town. I mean, that is not our goal. Well, that would drive everybody away. Our goal is to take the gospel into the world. Now, the picture of the gospel, I mean, really, is the picture of this table, what we're going to celebrate here today. If we really want to know the picture of the good news, right, this table is the ultimate picture of Jesus. It's the ultimate picture of love. It's the ultimate picture of what it means to love much and to love well. And the gospel, Jesus, is wrapped up in this picture because 
this is what Jesus did for us. On the very night that Jesus was betrayed, on that very night, he gathered with those that he loved the most, and he told them about the extent that his love would go to. He showed them through this simple meal what was about to unfold as the single greatest moment of love in all of human history. And it's the one that changed my life, and it's the one that changes our lives as a church. Because the good news, Jesus, the gospel, is hope and is freedom, and it's poured out here at this table. Let's pray together.